0: Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about empowering men to become their best selves. I'm delighted to welcome special guest Dr. Eddie Caparucci from Abundant Life Counseling. Dr. Caparucci is a Christian counselor who helps men who struggle with sex and porn addiction. He is also the clinical director of the National Decency Coalition, an organization that works with state governments to help limit the access of pornography to minors and educates people about the harmful impact of pornography on individuals, relationships, and society. He is also the author of several books, including Why Men Struggle to Love, Overcoming Relationship Blind Spots, and Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. You can learn more about the inner child recovery process for the treatment of sex and porn addiction at the website innerchildsexaddiction.com. And I'll include a link in the description. Welcome, Eddie. I'm so glad that you could join with me today.
1: Linda, thank you for having me. Uh, so it is a pleasure to be here. And that intro was very, very long.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but it's no, kind no, of no, your right. fault for being so awesome. You know, I took, no. I looked at all the things <laughs> that you could do. And I'm like, okay, can I shrink this? And what parts need to be included? And what parts are important? And
1: <laughs> I guess it's hard to sit and listen to all your. To that your that awesomeness. That you've done, so. That's a anyway.
0: true story. Sometimes it's hard to be able to um, accept your your oh. credit for the good things that you've done. So today I'm going to invite you to accept credit for the good things that you've done, and to allow me to just say thank you. I appreciate it. I believe that what you do matters.
1: So well, I graciously accept that. Thank
0: you. <laughs> well, I just recently finished reading your book the one that is Why Men Struggle to Love. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. You boldly and unapologetically hold up a mirror and show people, particularly men, things as they really are. And that's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to take because we kind of have this euphemistic stories that we tell ourselves. And when you're faced with the truth and the reality, ooh, ouch, sometimes that can be, painful. And one of the messages in your book is that emotional pain won't kill you. And that's comforting. But still, you know, our natural tendency, is there any time that there's something that's going to be uncomfortable, I don't even want to go there. So why do you think it's so important for people and and men, we're talking about men, to be able to see things as they really are, even if it hurts, what good am I going to come, you know, get out of this?
1: Well, the, the benefit of being able to sit with our emotional discomfort is the fact that it will keep us from running away from it and escaping. Because when we do that, most of the time what we do is we run to dysfunctional behaviors, which include withdrawing from a situation that we should be engaging in. It could be we become aggressive in wanting to shut that down or it could be that even worse we go into maybe different addictive behaviors where we we throw ourselves into our work or we get involved too heavily with alcohol or drugs or you know uh video games or even sex and pornography the inability to sit with pain i believe really is a core reason why there are so many people who struggle with addiction because they don't want to touch that raw nerve that could ultimately help them by giving them the insight they need to know why they suffer.
0: That is so insightful. And I love that. And I want to talk about that some more. So before we go into the, 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 the inner child and that, that depth of emotion, let's, let's start just on the surface a little bit with some of those addictive behaviors, some of those things that are are very, very common and very, very prevalent. So, um, Let's talk about sex addiction. Let's talk about pornography. A lot of men think this is no big deal because I'm not hurting anybody. So why is it a big deal? How does pornography negatively affect the individual who is participating in it, their relationship and society in general?
1: Right. Yeah. We, we could spend the whole time time on that. (laughs) Uh, but basically what it is, pornography. It distorts our view of sexuality. It distorts our view of relationship. Uh, it distorts our view of ourselves. Because especially with men, sometimes they're like, oh, you know what? I don't measure up. I'm not as good as some of the men that I see here on the camera. But worse yet is the way it teaches them to objectify women and men. It teaches them how to objectify. Um, you know, and for the men who, who sit there and they say, like, well, you know, it's just porn. You know, they these people want to be in this. And, you know, I, I share a quick story with them. I say, well, if you think the women who are involved in pornography want to be there, and I will admit there, there are some who get involved because of the money, but ask yourself this question. When was that time you met that 12-year-old girl and you said to her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, oh, I want to take my clothes off in front of a camera and have sex with strange men and women. I go, when did you meet her? And of course, no one's ever been able to answer that question. But then I also say, but you know what? I'll bet there are some little girls out there who would say something like that. But let me tell you something, somebody or somebody's have hurt them very badly and have eroded all their sense of self-worth. So now they become older, and it's like, oh, you know what, maybe that is a better way to make money. They are broken. And all you're doing is you're contributing to that brokenness by driving the demand. So there are many factors also. I mean, the fact is that watching pornography, what it does, we've seen studies that it will impact the way you view your spouse. You may not find them as attractive or as exciting. Uh, So it can crush the relationship there. Women also, many women look at men looking at uh, using pornography and they now wonder, why am I not good enough? What's wrong with me? Why don't you want me? And so therefore it puts distance between them. Pornography also gets men to isolate. They don't want to go out and do things because they'd rather sit and watch porn. There are so many different factors that are involved. But overall, pornography is not healthy to relationships.
0: Very much so. And I appreciate it in your book where you talked about the amount of time it takes for a spouse to be able to get over that um, They've been betrayed by, by this. And it usually is not only the use of pornography, but the secrecy and the deceit that goes along the with lie. it. But it the takes lie. a long
1: it's time. far worse than anything. Right. Because if I can't trust you, we don't have a relationship.
0: Right. Relationships are really based on trust. Okay. So it's not a good thing. And I know we could talk about this particular thing for a long time, but let's go deeper. And I love how you talk about this is a problem, but it's also a problem that people are attracted to because it is kind of a solution or a pseudo solution to a deeper problem where it kind of, it's almost a a self-soothing thing so that I don't have to face what my real issues are. So let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Can you kind of explain as you talked about why is it hard for men to love?
1: Yeah, well, it's hard for men to love because it goes back to our childhood and when we are growing up in the early ages of childhood development there are several stages that we go through that teach us how to engage with people in a very healthy way and what happened for a majority of men especially those who struggle with an addiction or those who just can't really be in a very healthy relationship because they missed some of those very critical components that were needed. For example, attunement. A child is taught to attune when he sees his mother and his mother shows her emotion to him. Okay, she can see that. He can read it. He starts to pick it up. Mom, very happy today. Mom's a little off today. Well, if they're not shown that, they don't pick that up. So Also, the idea of trust. All right, can I trust my parents? I come to them, I have a problem, I have an issue, and it's like, I'm too busy, leave me alone, I can't be bothered right now, no. A child crying, and nobody comes to comfort. So therefore, that is like the trust, I can't trust those people who I need. When it comes to emotional regulation, okay? Nobody teaching me why the why, just like stop it, but not explaining to me why I can't feel, and also the idea of the empathy, not being able to teach them to what the person is going through. But I think of all of them, the worst is that inability to sit with the pain. So you have a child who, you know, I I have this distress, and I know I can't go to mom or dad about it because they're not going to help me. So therefore, what do I do? And what does a child do? A child, well, a child child gonna have a lot of worldly experiences, and they're more emotionally based in their thinking than they are cognitively. So they come up with one solution. I won't think about it. So how do they not think about it? Distraction. They have to distract themselves, yes. Yeah. Too much food, too much television, too much video games, too much what fantasy in their own head, thing in their own head. That that behavior continues into our adult, into our senior, then into our adult world, we never sit with pain. Instead, we run. We're runners. And runners, we're going to run from everything, including trying to be emotionally connected and engaged. And that's not really going to be very helpful for a relationship.
0: Right. So let's talk for just a second. Because there's the natural tendency to run and escape from pain. And we're talking about the concept of sitting with emotional pain. And now is that part of processing the pain so that we can get through it and get on? It's not a goal of, well, let's just sit in a painful place because we like sitting oh, in a painful place. Yeah, no,
1: I mean, that, that wouldn't serve any benefit to be exactly. sitting in that pain. Exactly. Right? So we want to no. show a
0: benefit because you're, we're, you are asking people to do something hard. So I need to see if I'm listening and saying, dang, Dr. Eddie's asking me to do something hard. I need to see what's in it for me. Otherwise, I'm going to keep running. You know what All I mean?
1: Right. So, so let's look at the process for a moment, okay? <clears throat> something happens in your life today. It, it is triggering. It causes emotional distress. I believe our inner child gets activated when that happens. We're not aware of it kid reaches into a storage unit and he pulls out something that seemed very similar to what just happened. And what that does, that compounds our distress and our anxiety increases. So now this is where, oh my gosh, I don't want to sit with this, where both people run. And what I say is, no, we're not going to run. What we're going to do is we're going to sit here for five, 10 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. And I'm going to see, what are the emotions that I'm really feeling? What has really gone you know, here? What, what, what am I going to So, yeah, okay, maybe I'm feeling rejected right now. Maybe what happened, that guy, you know, you supposed to go to lunch with me, he cancels, and he says, I'm too busy, and just hangs up on me. I'm feeling rejected. And my little kid thinking about a prime when he went over to our friends' house when we were 11, and he goes to knock on a door, friend opens up the door, and you see a bunch of other friends in there, and like, what like, what's going on? He's like, oh, we're just hanging out. Well, can I come in? No. My mom says, I can't have anybody else. I slap the door in your face. And you go home and you feel that. And so now all of a sudden your intensity here. But now after I sit with her for a few minutes, then I have to go to the next step, Linda. And that is why mine. What I feel versus what is real. Because in many cases, they are two completely different things. So while I may feel rejected that this guy just very abruptly canceled lunch and hung up on me. What's reality? Reality, well, you know what? You said he was busy. You said something came up. Then he'll get back to me. But you know what? I really don't have enough information here to make the determination I've been rejected. Maybe I haven't been rejected. So now, what? what is the best solution? You know what? I think I'll give him a couple days. I'll call him if I don't hear from him. And I'll ask them, say, hey, you don't want to get together for lunch? And if he says no, then I'll say, well, what's the problem? What's going on? Or if he says yes, then I realize it's not a big deal. So, see, I've been able to regulate my mood. That goes back to one of those things that we're not taught. We're not taught how to regulate ourselves. So and that's part of the problem. But no, we do not want to be sitting in that pain. For a long, a prolonged period of time, we want to move it over to why mine and how I feel versus what is wrong.
0: How I feel versus what is real. And that, I think, is so important. Otherwise, we get stuck in the how I feel. Absolutely. And I loved in your your example that you gave, this, this person who got stood up for lunch recognized that the feeling was rejection because that actually takes some emotional maturity because a lot of times we have that inability to tell what our emotions are. And it's uh, right. alexithymia, is that the word? Where it's, we can recognize maybe a, one or two emotions. I can recognize anger, that one. I'm just angry, or I'm sad, or I'm happy. I mean, just, just just keep it super simple. But to be able to recognize, why am I angry? Why? What What was it that set me off? Takes being able to go a little bit deeper to be able to yeah. recognize well, I'm not just angry. I'm not just mad that he stood me up. I'm really mad because I'm feeling rejected. And I think if we can get to that that deeper thing, it's easier to find the solutions. Because right. anger is actually, you know, a secondary emotion. It's it's be, I feel angry because you know there's a there's yes. a because Correct. in there.
1: But in order to do that, Linda, you have to slow everything down. And that part of the problem, we don't slow down. We just we're, we're upset. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I want comfort. I need comfort. I can't sit here like this. That's a pretty adolescent type of attitude, isn't it? True but that's story. what we learned. We learned when we were young. I can't deal with this. So let me go find a candy bar. Let me go find a half a dozen donuts. Let me do something, you know, to get to soothe myself. And then later we're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? This is awful. Because we didn't slow everything down so we can go through that process and put it to what I feel versus what is real.
0: Mm, that is beautiful. You know, and when you, when you stop and explain it out loud, it really does sound childish and pathetic that we can't respond without immediately wanting that pacifier of some sort where we want to soothe, we want to be comfortable. But somehow in our minds, when you're just doing it, It makes perfect sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely it does because it's the, it is perfect sense for a child. Mm -hmm. In childlike thinking, it makes all the sense in the world. I won't think about it. I'm going to go distract myself. It's a great plan the kid came up with. It's, I mean, it's perfect. But for us as adults, not so good. The consequences can sometimes be very destructive.
0: We have kind of an emotional child running this adult body. That's and it, correct. It, it That's doesn't... what I
1: believe. That I, I part of that one book that you mentioned, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. I do believe that. I believe our kid uh, is locked in this time warp where he is stuck with a lot of the pain points that we have suffered. And it is those pain points that we suffered as a child That still haunt us today when something, when a negative event happens, that he correlates with something from the past. And for many of us, we're just oblivious to all of it. So we just have these defense mechanisms we created for how can I deal with this situation? But remember, what's the goal? Comfort. I want to get rid of this thing. I want to get it out of my life. I got to move on. And the quick solution, the quick hit hit is distract.
0: Distraction. Let's go for distraction. And you know, our our society right now, technology is so comfortable and so convenient that it kind of compounds that idea that every fix should be instant. I should be able to take a pill and feel better. If it takes more than two seconds to upload a page, I'm just not interested anymore. I've got to go find something else. And so that idea of trying to slow down is very counterintuitive. It's it's hard to just stop and say, oh, actually, you know, and it's also counterintuitive as we're trying to avoid pain that the very process of distracting and avoiding prevents us from solving that pain and healing that pain.
1: see, then again, this is where I tap into my Christianity also, and I say, you know what, I can't live, you know, In the world i must live in the spirit and part of living in the spirit takes me to the fruit of the spirit and what that last virtue that's there that is this idea of self-control and i can only have self-control if i can slow things down so i can sit and then process versus just being reactive because you're right the world calls us to be reactive do what you want to do. Don't think about it. Just, you know, it's all about our own joy and pleasure. And that is not the way God designed us to live that abundant life.
0: Isn't that interesting? Once again, things, uh, there's almost a counterfeit. Like there's a counterfeit to true joy and there's a counterfeit to things. Like if I'm selfish and I'm just doing whatever the heck I want, then that's, that's, that's a level of happiness, Right. Yes, but there's a deeper level of happiness and of joy that is available, but we have to peel back that facade and that counterfeit to be able to get to the real stuff.
1: Right. Well, you mentioned the word joy. See, there's no joy up here. You're right. Is there a happiness, but it's always based on circumstances, mm. and circumstances are going to fluctuate. When we have joy, no matter what our circumstances are, so we can maintain that. We may not be very happy at the moment, but I can maintain a, a sense of peace and joy that will allow me to, again, make the right decision about the way I respond to things.
0: Okay, that is so brilliant. If you're in that state, that joy, that is personal empowerment. And then yeah. I am not as dependent on the situations that are taking place in the world. Right now, a lot of people, when they look around, they feel kind of hopeless. Like, ah, there's stuff going on and I'm not in control of it. And I I don't feel powerful over it. And and that hope just kind of withers. But when wow. you have that joy, you can also have hope. And it's very empowering. It's, I can be happy and I can be joyful Regardless of the circumstances around me. And it reminds me, of course, of Viktor Frankl and his man's search for meaning, yes. where we may not be able to choose the circumstances, but we can still choose our responses.
1: That's correct. That's absolutely right. And I also believe the idea of why. Why do I think, feel, and act the way I do? Okay, I think that's very empowering for us also. Because if I have the answers to those questions, Now I can make real changes based on the subconscious things that are going on in my life versus just what I think is going on in my head.
0: Doing a little research, asking why, and that helps to be able to move a little deeper. And part of the thing that you explain in your book, which I appreciate, is we have to be able to have a little bit of education because as you mentioned, there are some things that hopefully, if we have wonderful parents, we are able to learn from observing and through our interactions. And that is not always the case. Either they are, you know, imperfect people, like we all are, or they're distracted, or they have their own issues, or maybe they're downright mean. But we didn't get that education that, that uh, we really need in order to be emotionally mature and, and to be right. healthy.
1: So That's hey, why We need to go and reparent the inner child.
0: Reparent the inner child. Isn't that lovely? That way we can say, even if we didn't think our parents did an awesome job, then we can stop judging and saying, "Okay, now I'm the parent. To me, am I going to do a good job?" Because right. we get another chance.
1: Yeah, you know it's really funny Linda? when people read when they read the the, 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 um, the new book is coming out. I think tomorrow on Amazon, tomorrow the day after. But when they go and they read going deeper about the inner child and. They come in and we start to talk about it. The first thing they always say is, Oh my gosh, I can't believe the way I'm screwing up my own kids. I mean, could they look at, they look at all of this and they realize they're doing the same thing that their parents were doing. And now it's like, I need to learn to change this. It goes back and again, you know, that education, the insight for how they can change. And as I told them, Hey, even if you have adult children, you could still change a lot of it. Okay You could have a very different outlook that they see and they wonder and they appreciate and and then to be able to sit there and apologize and they tell them, "You know what? I'm sorry, I did not give you what you needed at the time. I didn't know I was ignorant, but I want to be here now for you.
0: Wow, that would be amazing to be able to have the the courage and the humility to go forward and do that and I've not...
1: seen it happen no. I've seen it I've seen it happen many times, and uh, the response like you just said is this is amazing. I can't believe Dad is doing this. I mean I just you know so
0: it makes a difference. And I love that idea that we have a responsibility and to become aware and awake to that responsibility. And again that's what you do as you're as you're teaching people is you're holding up that mirror and showing things as they really are because we kind of run on this autopilot where we just, we have this story that we've written in our head about the way things are, and we just run on that. And it does not matter that it's completely disconnected to what's really going on <laughs> until we wake up and, and look at things and say, oh, actually, and then you have a choice because once you learn something, then you have a choice to act on it and to make those changes, or to once again, turn and run away and pretend, la, 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 I didn't hear anything and, and still yeah. insist on being, a, 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 an immature child.
1: Right. Right. You bring up a really good point about the whole idea of the negatives that we have. All the, we have a lot of what I call, we call negative narratives. Okay. And those were messages that we receive, whether directly or indirectly, when we were growing up, that what it does, it gives us the worldview of relationships, the worldview of parent, the worldview of ourselves. And in many cases, they're, they're not accurate worldviews, but yet we carry them around like these weighted boulders and we use them to impact our lives and the relationship that we're involved in. And in most cases, We're going to do it in a very negative
0: way. Okay. So will you give me a couple examples of this negative narrative that we're carrying around? This again is going to go back to that question I asked at the beginning of why do we want to face this? What advantage do I get? And I believe that one of the advantages is by recognizing that these negative narratives, first of all, that they exist. And second of all, that they're not real, that they're not true. Then we can let it go. And a lot of the pain that we're carrying actually is completely unnecessary, and we can let that go. So again, let's have some examples of some negative narratives.
1: For example, a negative negative narrative is, you know, I'm just not good enough, okay, where you may have gotten from maybe a a parent who was constantly criticizing everything that you do. Now, as an adult, you're very hypersensitive to criticism. You know, anybody who just even trying to make some sort of recommendation or whatever, or just a comment of, like, did you leave that cup over there? No, not me. I didn't do that. Versus, OK, I'm just asking a question with that. You know, people who feel that, you know, dissent that um, I'm not lovable. Because, again, as growing up, never heard mom or dad ever say that. So now, therefore, they will never let a person all the way in. They will put up a wall and keep the person over here because I can't let you in here. If I let you too close, I give you the power to hurt me. So that's just two. There are hundreds of negative narratives that we carry with us. You know, it's not safe to share my emotion. Another one that many men have, some women have it too. But it's like, you know what, because when I was younger, you know, and I start talking about it, it's like, stop. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. Well, you know what, that's not what men do. Stop crying, this and that. Like, okay, so I won't. I won't share my emotions. So I start to cut them off. I, again, I can go back to those primary ones where I tell you if I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy, you know, I'm afraid. But I can't tell you what I really feel because I don't know what I really feel. Mm. And again, not being able to have emotion is going to severely impact relationships as you move forward. Again, that gives you a few examples.
0: Oh, that's excellent. And not being able to have the words to describe it actually is, is a, is a real hinderment because you have to name it to tame it. You have to be able to say what it is you're feeling. So I, beyond anger to whatever that underlying thing may be, and then you can let it go. Right. So that's beautiful. So we can be able to get over these feelings of I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. And I think those were the two perfect examples, because if you took any other scenario and boiled it down to the very bones, that is it. Am I lovable? Am I good enough? Those, those basic things. So now that we've discovered that I have this negative narrative going on in my head, What's the next step to being able to get rid of it?
1: Yeah, it goes, it goes back to, again, it, what I feel versus what is real. Okay, I feel like I'm not lovable. Okay, why do why do I feel that? Well, I can go back and I could look at some of that. But what's reality today? Wow, you know, when I have a wife who really seems to be very much into me and my kids seem to respect me and love me and, you know, I have friends and, you know, that I have and my coworkers seem to get along with me. But then therefore, maybe when somebody says, hey, look, I just can't do that right now, or it doesn't accommodate me, that doesn't mean I'm not lovable. It just means that they have their own lives, too. And I have to start looking at it. And that is that, that in the process. That's not one just sitting here doing this one time. Okay? Because negative narratives are entrenched. And we may have to do it very often, over and over and over again, to be able to do that. And again, a lot of the time, what I do is, this is where I'll also bring God into the picture. Hey, you know what? I know I am loved. I am unconditionally loved and accepted. Now, yes, I do want that from other people around here. But you know what? That is the ultimate source that I can go to.
0: Isn't that wonderful that we have a baseline? That is so beautiful and unchangeable and consistent that I am loved. God loves me. So if he loves me, I must be lovable, right?
1: Right. Exactly. If God, if the creator of all loves me, how can I believe what I may perceive other than what I get from others? Right. That's distorted. That's all distorted. For sure. I have to believe what is true and not not go just based on my emotion.
0: Uh Oh, going to some rational thought, huh? Being able to just, I think a lot of men don't think they're emotional thinkers. They think women are emotional thinkers. They think they are rational. And yet um, uh, the data (laughs) doesn't actually support that claim. So it's just manifested in a different way versus that crying and showing an emotion to uh, ignoring and running away and pretending that it doesn't exist, but it's still emotional thinking. So it is, that is wonderful. Well, thank you for your wisdom. I feel so strongly that what you're doing is so important and I greatly appreciate it. And I am so thankful that you shared your book with me. And I am so thankful that you came and visited with me today.
1: Well, I I appreciate you having me here. I appreciate being able to put the word out there because that's what this is all about. You know, this is, this is a second career for me. I was a marketing and advertising executive for almost 30 years and God then called me into this ministry. And with this, what he's done is he's given me much insight. And for me, it is like, let's share it with the world because I do believe. It can make a big difference in people's lives.
0: Oh, it does. It transforms lives. It transforms individuals. It transforms relationships. It transforms families and how they affect the next generation. And it affects communities. And that affects the world. So we have to start with one person. That is the beginning of of everything. So well done. Thank you. In closing, I'd like to share a quote by author Veronica Tugaleva. She said, emotional pain cannot kill you, but running from it can. Allow, embrace, let yourself feel, let yourself heal. Today, I invite you to stop running away from emotional pain and face it head on so that you can heal and experience true joy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Linda's Corner, please share and subscribe to help us reach new listeners. I also invite you to check out my nonprofit, Hope for Healing, at the website HopeForHealingFoundation.org